0: Hello again and welcome to the Vineyard Church Podcast. Most of us are holding on to something that keeps us from living the life God intended. In this episode called Practical Greatness, we hear the story of Abram and are reminded that God uses the most unlikely and unqualified people to go and tell the world about him.
1: Well, welcome back to week eight of our series, In the Beginning. We're walking through the book of Genesis, and if you brought your Bible or if you have a Bible with you, open up to Genesis chapter 12. We're going to spend most of our time there today. Over the last seven weeks, we've kind of been unpacking a at a very rapid pace, very kind of high view the 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 fall of man, how we've gotten to where we've gotten. Moses has has written this book to the people of Israel to help them understand who they are, where they're coming from, what their history is, and why life is such a mess at the moment that he's communicating this to them. And so the first 11 chapters, in chapter one, he he kind of establishes that there is a God that is bigger than all the little gods and idols that people around them are worshiping. There's a God who's behind everything, who's bigger than everything, who created everything, including them. And so they have purpose, they have meaning, they were created to be in a relationship with God. And in chapter two, he he, he unpacks the way life was meant to be, that that relationship was, was good and, and that intimacy with him was important and, and what marriage was supposed to look like. And it was a paradise and they were in a garden. And then in chapter three, we see the fall of, of humanity, the what sin comes into the world. Man chooses to disobey God, and that sin infects everyone and everything. And then, for the next eight chapters, we watch the world unravel. Right? We get to we get to Noah, and and God's like, "There's nothing good left on the earth. They're they're killing each other. I can't watch this anymore." And uh, and and so he decides to hit the reset button. He's finds a guy named Noah, and his family says, these people are righteous, I'm going to hit the reset button, and uh, we're going to start over with this family, because they're righteous. And within very short order, after getting off the, the ark, and after the flood, and they're repopulating the earth, and they're they're there, Noah gets sloppy drunk, naked drunk, uh, something happens with his son, and we're not really sure what that is, but it was uh, kind of unsavory, we believe. Uh, and what we see is even after the reset button is is hit, that sin is still here. It still marches on. It still has its effect. Again, Moses is writing to the children of Israel. He's trying to help them understand who they are, where they come from, and why the world is all jacked up right now. And and to help them understand that we you know we've tried in our own ways to fix this, but nothing has worked. Now in the story. We, we get to this place. We've covered a couple thousand years in 11 chapters, and now we get to the center of the story, the guy who's at the center of everything. His name is Abram. Abram, uh, I know you think his, his name was Abraham, and eventually his, his name will be Abraham. God changes his name and changes his story. We'll hit that later, But but Abram at this point, well, He was not Jewish, he was not a God follower, he's never even talked to God, maybe not even heard of God. God hasn't talked or spoken to humanity for a couple hundred years, and yet God shows up in his life and has a conversation with him and makes him some promises and invites him to a new life. The the grace of God shows up for Abram, and that's who our God is, isn't it? It's what he does. He shows up to the undeserving, to the unlikely, to the people who've screwed everything up. And he invites us to a new story. He invites us to a new identity. He changes everything. That's who God is. And Abram is such a great picture of that. Abram has a it turns out has a bigger impact on the world than any other human being who ever lived, maybe other than Jesus. In, in Scripture, he's everywhere. He's a, a biblical superstar, right? Um, there's 12 chapters all about him in the Bible. The rest of Genesis, I mean, the first 11 chapters are what I discussed, but the rest of Genesis, 39 chapters in Genesis is about him and his family, uh, he, he's kind of the center of the human universe, um, and, and scripturally speaking, definitely. His name appears 311 times throughout the Bible, and 2,000-plus years later as they're writing the New Testament, they're writing about Him. He shows up 74 times in the New Testament. Of the 27 books in the New Testament, He's in 11 of them. He's in every gospel. Jesus refers to this guy, Abram. And in a practical sense, he's had an impact on the world outsized everybody. Besides Jesus, not a single person has had a greater impact in our world. You see, God promised him that he would be the father of a, of a great nation. And, and, and he was kind of, he was 75 at the time, a little old for having kids. And, and uh, his wife was barren, and so it was kind of like, well, okay, God, but he believed God. But as the years went by he got to a place where he was she was definitely too old there were no kids coming at least as far as they could see through his wife and so he slept with a servant girl and had a, and had a, a son and they named him Ishmael and Ishmael um well the 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 consequences of this act and this child reverberate to this very day. It was the beginning of a conflict that has gone on for thousands of years. You see, the entire Arab world and what would eventually become the Muslim world traces its roots to Ishmael, right? Now, later, his wife Sarah, miraculously, because she was beyond childbearing years, and uh, she gets pregnant, and she has a son, and she names him Isaac, and the entire Jewish nation traces its roots to Isaac. Okay. So you may remember a couple years back we had a, a peace treaty in the Middle East. They called them the Abraham Accords. Why would they call them the Abraham Accords? Because you have the Muslims, the the, the Arabs, the, the, the children of Ishmael and the Israelis, the children of Isaac, both sons of Abraham. It all comes back to Abraham. And to this very day, all Judaism, Christianity, Islam, it all points back to this guy. 60% of the world today traces their belief system back to this guy. So let's dive in and see what we can learn from this guy. All right, we are going to start in Genesis 11, chapter, or verse 27, a little bit of background on him. This is what it says. This is the account of Terah's family. Terah became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Haran became the father of Lot. While his father Terah was still alive, Haran died in Ur of the Chandelines or I'm sorry, of the Shaldeans, in the land of his birth. Abram and Nahor both married. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah. She was the daughter of Haran, the father of both Milcah and Ishka. Now, Sarai was childless because she was not able to conceive. Now, this is a big deal in their culture. The fact that Sarai and Abram didn't have any children was was kind of a point of shame for them. It was a point of defeat for them. It was a big, hairy deal because everything was wrapped up in your family line, and they were the end of the line. All their wealth, their name, their legacy, it all ended with them, and this would have been considered almost like a curse on them. They, they, they had no future beyond themselves. Then in verse 31, it says, Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, the wife of his son Abram. And together they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. Terah lived 205 years, and he died in Haran. All right, so now we're going to pick up in chapter 12 where it says this, The Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land that I will show you. All right, so... Abram is is hanging out in Haran. He they, they, they kind of got stuck there on their way. They were gonna go to the land of Canaan. His father was was taking them there, but they get to Haran, it's comfortable, the fishing's good. He's like, I'm gonna hang out here. And 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 so now he's 75 years old, he's chilling out, he's got his patterns, his established. Life is, is kind of quiet. They don't have any kids, so it's, life is really quiet, and they're just kind of chilling out there, and God shows up. God, who hasn't spoken to humanity for hundreds of years, he shows up, and it shows up in a profound way. This is not just like a pizza dream that he had. This is something profound happened between God and Abram for Abram to be able to, to, to actually take action on what he hears and, and, and actually ends up obeying God and doing what he says. Now, the question is, why this guy? Why Abram? Because in reality, Abram was not a God follower. He was not a righteous man. He wasn't like Noah, who, who, who was a righteous God-following kind of guy. He was a pagan. He was, he was a Babylonian pagan worshiper from Ur, and Ur was the center of pagan worship for the whole world. Even Joshua, hundreds of years later, talks about Abraham being a pagan worshiper. It says in Joshua 24, verse 2, um, it says, Joshua said to all the people, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Long ago, your ancestors, including Terah, the father of Abram or Abraham and Nahor, lived beyond the Euphrates River and worshipped other gods. He was a pagan worshiper. He lived about 200 miles south of modern-day Baghdad in this little town called Ur that was known for idol worship. You go there today, and there are ruins of what's called the ziggurat uh, which is a, was about a 70-foot-tall temple structure to their demon gods. It was the center of occult idol worship. That's who Abram was. And so why on earth would God choose this pagan worshiper with no future, his wife is barren, why would he choose him to build his entire kingdom on, to, to bring forth his Messiah through eventually? which brings me to point one of this message, and that's simply this. God uses the most unlikely and unqualified people. He uses the most unlikely and unqualified people, which is really, really good news for you because you're unlikely and you're unqualified, and so am I. You know, to, 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 the, to the longtime church people, I think this is a great moment to, to remember not to get too full of ourselves. We we have this propensity because our lives get better as we, we walk with God, and, and we should. If we're not becoming more moral as we walk with God, then there's a problem, but it becomes very easy then to start comparing ourselves to the people around us and kind of get judgmental and look down our nose and think, well, God couldn't use them. God used a pagan worshiping, idol worshiping, dude who'd never heard of god before in the middle of the desert and god can use you god used the disciples jesus picked these guys who were unqualified to be disciples of a rabbi who didn't have a tremendous amount of religious training who ended up running when when jesus was arrested they didn't understand what he was talking about half the time and he uses them eventually to change the world and he chose abraham or Abram, the most unlikely unqualified guy. Guys, whatever your background is, whatever you have done, whatever regrets you walk with, God can still use you. You can be an Abraham. And that is really good news. And that's who God is. Well, it says, The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. Now, God is calling Abram out of his comfort zone. God says to to Abram at 75 years old, when most people are kind of settling in for the retirement years and they've got their community and their, their patterns well established, God says, I want you to leave your comfort zone. I want you to go. Leave your family, leave your city, leave your country, leave everything you know, and go. Which brings me to point number two. When God says go, go. Go. You're never going to live the life that you were created for until you go. Leave the garbage that you're swimming in. Leave the sin that you're holding on to. Leave the drugs you're using, the lies you've been living, the people who are no good for you. Go. Go. And, and and Abraham asked the same question that you and I probably would will ask when we hear this call from God, and that's, where am I going to go to? And God answered Abraham with a very vague answer to the land that I'll show you. I'm not going to give you a map. I'm not going to give you a master plan, God says. I'll show you. You take the first step. Trust me enough to do what I say, and I will meet you in the midst of your obedience. Well, you know, I mean, the, the argument with God is, well, why don't you show me where I'm going, God? What will it be like? At least a postcard of, of what the place looks like. And God's like, look, you need to go. I can't do anything with you till you leave. Because if you stay, you are going to end up worshiping idols. That's what he's saying to Abram. You know, your, your family, they are, they're all idols. The uncle, uncle Eddie shows up with an idol every weekend. It's not any good for you. For us, if you stay, you're going to end up using drugs. You're going to end up sleeping with her or with him. Leave, go, God says. Well, in verse... Well, let's go back to verse 1. The Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Which brings me to the third point of this message, which is this, you are blessed to be a blessing. God blesses Abraham. He promises to bless him in his obedience and he will bless him to be a blessing to others. God gives him this promise. I'll bless you and you will be a blessing and blessing will come through you. He doesn't give him any details. He doesn't give him a roadmap. He doesn't give him a spreadsheet. He doesn't give him a master plan. He just says, go, trust me, take my hand and trust me and it's gonna be good and here's my promise. I will bless you and you will bring blessing. And guys, he says the same thing to us today. He says the same thing to you. Go, step out of your sin. Step out of the environments that are bringing you down. Step out of the patterns in your life that you know are destructive and are sinful, and I will bless you. And I will bless you as you go, and you will get to be a blessing to the world around you. And our, our response is probably similar to what Abram's response was, but God, I'm comfortable. i are comfortable in dying, not really living. You know, but my friends, when you hang out with your friends, you always end up drunk. It's probably not really good friends but what about him or what about her? Well, I know they're not good for me. I know this relationship isn't, isn't the healthiest thing in my life or the healthiest relationship, but, but at least it's somebody, right? Go. Go. Leave your life of sin. Leave your life of addiction. Leave the drugs that are killing you, the porn that's controlling you. Go. Take my hand. Trust me enough to do what I say and go. Go and in this step of obedience it changes everything. Abram's step of obedience changes the world. Your step of obedience changes your world and lives around you, your kids, your family, the people that you work with. It is powerful. You know, we've always we always kind of come back to this definition of faith being trusting God enough to do what he says. He says go. Now, it's interesting because God tells Abram that he's gonna make him great. And he's gonna make his name great and his and uh and all of that. And you know, last weekend we were in chapter eleven in the Tower of Babel where where the people said, hey, we're going to build a tower and make ourselves great. Actually, what they say is, come let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the sky so that we may make a name for ourselves. We'll make ourselves great. We'll make ourselves famous. We'll make ourselves important. And this offends God, and he comes down, and he confuses their language, and he scatters them so they can't do that, and now we're in the next chapter. And God shows up to Abram and says, "I'm going to make your name great, and I'm going to make you important, and I'm going to make you famous." And and Abram's probably going, "Well, I just you know I just just heard about Babel. Are you sh-? you know, guys? There's nothing wrong with greatness. There's nothing wrong with greatness. We're not supposed to to just kind of you know shirk around and, and feel bad about ourselves. God wants us to be great." But who is making you great? Is it you? Is it your effort? Is it everything that you want and dream about? If it is, it doesn't usually end well. Or is it God? When it's God, God gets the credit, He gets the glory, and He also gets to carry all the stress. We see very clearly in these first couple of verses God saying, I will make you great. I will bless you. I will make your name great. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. It's all about what God is doing. And when God is making you great, you will truly be great. Which brings me to point four. Stop trying to make yourself great and let God do it. Let God do it. The difference is the who and the what for. The who and the what for? Who is making you great? Is it you or God? And the what for? Is it is it for His glory and the blessing of others, or is it for your glory and the blessing of you? You know, Jesus said, "If you want to be great, you make yourself a servant." Scripture says to humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord, and that He will lift us up and make us great. That's the pathway to greatness, and the results. Well, it might be fame, might not be. It might be obscurity for the rest of your life, but the greatness that God has planned for your life will come to be, and the impact you were created for will come to be also. But it's gotta be God doing it, and it's gotta be for his glory and the blessing of others. Well, in verse four, it says, so Abraham, or Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Now, this Abram here gets it about half right. Because God had told Abram to leave his family and his people and everything behind and and Abram obeys him and he leaves but he brings along this guy named Lot. Lot is his family. Lot is his nephew. Lot has always been there. Lot is he's kind of used to Lot. Lot's his favorite, so Lot's coming along. And so Lot ends up causing a lot of problems down the road. He's not necessarily a really great guy with really great character, and he ends up causing his uncle Abram all kinds of heartache in the long run. But Lot comes along. Guys, how many times do we do this? How many times do we do we say to God, God, you you have it all? I surrender everything to you. It's just me and you, God, and uh and Lot. And we bring lot along. It's, he's comfortable. It's a, it, we know him. He's always been a part of my life. Just this one little habit or this one little sin, sin. and it's you and me, God, and, and then there's, there's this lot. Lot ends up being a thorn in Abram's side. I mean, it's, 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 it's not a good situation, and it would have gone much better if he had left Lot behind as he was instructed partial obedience isn't really obedience, is it? It's disobedience. God still uses Abram, and I think it's encouraging that even though Abram doesn't get this 100% correct, God doesn't give up on Abram, and He doesn't give up on us. But I'm here to tell you things would go better if he had obeyed completely. Abram, it says, was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife. Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan and they arrived there. So it says here that they acquired people. Exactly how do you acquire people? Some historians uh, and theologians will say that, well, Abram was a, a wealthy man, and so these would have been slaves. Maybe. I don't think so. And I'm going to, we'll get around to what my theory is here in a moment. But it goes on, it says, Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah at Shechem. I love this, the great tree of Morah at Shechem. This is like reading the Lord of the Rings. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give you this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. Now, let's frame this a little bit. Abram was a pagan who had an encounter with God and and who is now following the God who created everything, but has a 75-year track record of worshiping idols, right? He shows up at the great tree of Morah in Shechem. Now, the great tree of Morah in Shechem is fascinating. It's a... uh, uh, we read in the Bible, it shows up several times. A thousand years later, Moses and the Israelites stopped there on their way to the promised land. Gideon camps there before a great battle. Kings hold council under this tree. In in ancient cultures, a outsized big tree would often become a place of spiritual significance. This was actually called the tree of oracles or a spirit tree. It's where they would go. The pagans would go to hear from their gods. It was named by the Canaanites. They were pagans. They put shrines in the tree and and worship there. And so, you know, visualize this. Abram, who is now a God follower rolls up into a pagan worship site. This is a major site of worship for these pagans. He rolls up and he builds an altar to God. He builds a church in the middle of the pagan worship site. He builds a church for God, which brings me to point number five. Go to Shechem and build a church. Go to Shechem and build a church. You know, the reality is, is that most of us work or go to school, or do whatever we do in our lives in Shechem. You know, we 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 live. I, I work for a church, right? So I spend most of my time with church people and Christians. And um, it's an occupational hazard of being a pastor. Um, but but you work with people of all kinds of different backgrounds and beliefs. You have the opportunity to roll up into Shechem and build an altar, and build a church, and help people find and follow God in that way. And here, Abram walks right back into the environment that he had left with those people, and he builds an altar, and he starts telling people about God. Now, I want to give just a a quick caveat here. If you struggle with a sin associated with an environment, don't do this. Say if you're an alcoholic, you don't go back to the bar to start telling people about Jesus because your temptation will be to drink and that will you know, destroy you. So don't do that. Find other places. But here, Abram is not tempted to start worshiping idols again. He shows up in the middle of idol land and starts proclaiming God. Go to Shechem, build a church. Verse 8, it says, it says this, from there, he went on toward the hills east of Bethel, and he pitched his tent. With Bethel on the west and Ai on the east, there he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. And then Abram set out and continued toward the Negev. So he goes back to Bethel, or he goes to Bethel and Ai. He builds another church. He starts telling people about God, this I think, is where he accumulates people. He's the first evangelist. He's telling them about this experience and this encounter that he had with God, that God was changing his story, that at 75, his life finally has purpose. You know, he didn't tell them about the Bible because the Bible hadn't been written yet. He's got like three verses from God, and that's it. But he told them about the encounter with God. He told them about the promise of God he told them how God was changing his life and rewriting his story. And people were hungry for that. They were hungry for that then. They're hungry for it now. People who worship idols eventually experience the emptiness of that. They're hungry for the kind of God that can change your life. You know, in our age, in our culture, the God of self-indulgence is worshipped everywhere we go. And it ultimately will leave you empty. It ultimately will leave you thirsty. It will ultimately leave you wanting. The God of pleasure is worshipped, and it will leave you sexually broken and addicted, or both. The God of money is worshipped, which will leave you paranoid that you won't have enough and all alone. Abram rolls up, starts telling people about this God who's a real God who's changing his life. He didn't have a lot, but he had enough. He didn't have all the answers, but he had God. He'd show up and he'd build an altar, build a church, and say, you want to go to church? Let me tell you about what God's doing in my life. You want to go to church? And people came, and he accumulated people. Guys, may your story not be about simply just being okay with God. But may it be about acquiring people along the way. I hope you get to heaven and turn around and see them behind you, your coworkers, your classmates, your family, family members. They're there because you shared the story of what God was doing in your life and said, hey, you want to go to church? I'm going to build an altar in Shechem. And everywhere Abram goes, he builds an altar. And he only had three sentences from God at that point. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're like, I don't know enough. I don't have enough. I'm not qualified. Well, the fact that you you think you're not qualified means you're qualified because God delights in using the unqualified and the unlikely. You're a candidate. All you got to do is go when God says go, remembering that you're blessed to be a blessing to others. And the more you bless others, the more God will bless you. You've got to stop striving for your own glory and your own greatness and follow God for His. Humble yourself, serve others, and see what He does through you and how He will lift you up, and it takes all the pressure off. And then go to Shechem and build a church. Invite people to come and hear about this God who not only changes your story, but He changes your very life identity and makes you new again. And I'm here to tell you people are hungry because they're finding the emptiness and the brokenness in everything else they're trying. Guys, we are here, as Jesus said, to be the light of the world. Let's go build some some churches, so to speak, in Shechem. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for ultimately being the blessing that would come through Abraham. Lord, thank you for the forgiveness of our sins through your death on the cross. Thank you for loving us and pursuing us and becoming one of us and coming after us. God, thank you that there is hope in a world that is stained and broken with sin, that there is life in a world that hurts so badly. Lord, I pray that you would fill us with that life, that you would change our names, that you would change our identities, that you would change our stories. And even those who to this point have considered themselves disqualified would find themselves qualified by you. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: Thanks for joining us on the Vineyard Podcast today. It's our greatest desire for people to find and follow God and we hope this podcast is one way that helps you do just that. But don't stop here. We would love to see you face to face. God's people grow most in community so don't forget you can join us live at the Capitol Theater in downtown Wheeling every Sunday morning at 10:30 a.m. If you'd like to connect with us in the meantime make sure to visit our website vineyardwheeling.com or download our app. You can catch up on previous messages and series, request prayer, and even download additional content. Thanks again for joining us this week. We'll see you next time.